This is CS Book Club. We're reading Chapter 6 of Understanding Computation, Programming with Nothing, where we learn about the Lambda Calculus. Uh, I'm Justin Campbell, and here's uh, Amy. Hey, guys. Ashton. Hey, how's it going? And Brian. Hello. The chapter opens with a quote. If you wish to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe. Carl Sagan. And that's pretty much what we do in this chapter. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we do. So I, I kind of like learned about the land calculus before, but not not in this way, not in this kind of depth. Um, so what was your prior exposure? Um, well, I'd I'd seen the Jim Wire talk from RubyConf twenty twelve, I think, uh, where he gave a talk called "Why Not Adventures in Functional Programming," where he re implements the Y Combinator. Which is very, very like the uh, the Z combinator that we get to later in this chapter, um, using just Ruby procs. Uh, gotcha. But I didn't actually understand any of it at the time, and even watching it a few times in the in the years since, I I still didn't really get it as much as at least not to the degree that this this chapter taught me. Um, and I'd also tried to like make like a very simple, you know, true false. Uh, first second which is the same thing and and then like basically make like or and exclusive or and 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 gates um but never never have i made fizzbug buzz and just lambda calculus <laughs> yeah, it turns out to be quite a task yeah. yeah it is impressive though how much uh code we were able to reuse like if you think about all that we did and then i think obviously the chapter um, does a good job of just making us aware of the the full extent of what we wrote by printing out every single uh unex or every single expanded um constant. But you know, it's actually not that much that we wrote, which is pretty awesome. Until you expand it, and then it's a lot. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and obviously, you know, you have to allow yourself the cheat of um. Constant. You know, referring to, to variables, yeah. Like, uh, I think, um, you know, that that one sheet there was very helpful uh, to me, certainly. I mean, the it's really amazing how much I rely on, you know, white space and, and um, human-readable names to identify code. I mean, maybe it's not that amazing, right? I mean, <laughs> no, yeah, I can't was... read binary, but... Uh, or machine code very well, but um, it was incredibly helpful to have to be allowed to use uh, constants. You didn't want to write all six pages of the full functions out. You know, I'm <laughs> guessing I would probably have an unbalanced parenthesis somewhere, and my life would be just terrible. <laughs> you know, when you walk into like a math teacher's room and there's just like scribble over like two walls worth of chalkboards and it looks just like gibberish they were probably just writing fizzbuzz <laughs> <laughs> you never know <laughs> yeah I thought that was a nice abstraction just giving ourselves uh, you know it, in the beginning it mentions uh, what we're going to keep in Ruby and the first one is referring to variables and it was it was kind of interesting looking at like the code we wrote with, with the variables the constants um, versus the expanded code, just that simple small thing like 
gave so much abstraction and clarity to the code. Turns out naming things is really helpful. It's kind of weird, though, to think about things like zero, like like the numbers, for instance. It's They're numeric, not in a... Um, not in like a numeral sense, but in like a counting sense. It's like doing something to something zero times, doing something to something one times. Um, that was like, I don't think that that didn't come together for me until the part where you translate from the Lambda calculus back to like a Ruby number, the two integer method. I think it was really hazy until then. I had to go back and like reread everything up to that point. Yeah, I managed to get through this entire chapter, just reading it, not not doing the implementing um, part, but I managed to get through this whole chapter without really understanding that um, I, I grokked the, the two integer method and I understood, I kind of understood how this was, how that was working. Um, but then I got through the whole chapter without realizing that whenever we were printing out like actual numerals and actual characters that we were doing a very similar thing. So, uh, I was definitely think I think you guys, uh, got some very confused texts from me where I was still in that state of like, all right, <laughs> uh, how exactly is this thing printing out things that look, uh, human readable? Something I highlighted in this book was, what is a number anyway? <laughs> yeah, I found that whole section uh, very interesting, the way he tries to describe numbers in different ways. And he's like, no, we're still, if you say how many, that's still just another way of saying a number. So he takes it down to the level of, well, a number is how many times you can iterate over something. Or, um, so it's, it's definitely a different way of thinking about it. Yeah, I mean... One of the interesting things uh, about, you know, the church numerals, church booleans, and and um, church characters, I think, was um, kind of seeing how arbitrary they are. Like, yes, there's a there is a meaning behind how we're choosing to represent, um, you know, one, two, three, and those integers, and 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 it makes kind of semantic sense but it kind of devolves to this point where you're just like okay well that's how we're representing zero and you know you, you then start thinking okay well when i say the word zero that's referencing kind of this concept that i have but the reality is i'm just making the sound z followed by row <laughs> <laughs> and that's how i'm choosing to represent it and and the reason why I can communicate that concept uh, is because uh, you guys hear me saying Z and Rho and you compare it to your understanding of of hearing the, the sound waves of Z followed by Rho and, and you're like, okay, there's a match. This is the, this is the concept, right? So, I don't know. It, it's kind of funny to, to get to the edge of, of minimalism and find how... Uh, how inconcrete some of our understanding is. I think you just blew my mind. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe that like 
is like an infinite application of the same function over itself, right? Maybe maybe we can represent your mind being blown by trying to represent <laughs> infinity in church numerals. Well, it's like you could have, like if you if you do like zero of any program, it's zero, right? So like, how do you know what program you passed to zero? I don't know. Now you just blew my mind. Yeah. It's like well, in CSS when you write like zero PX or zero percent. It doesn't matter. You just write zero. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Zero of anything is zero. Well, if if the number zero is no action at all, is not saying the number zero, technically saying zero all the time. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, and the other thing is that in theory, since zero is just the identity, we could choose to send in to zero any arbitrary function, any arbitrary program. So in theory, if I put my entire Ruby app into Lambda calculus syntax, that could be the identity. It, it would be very... And and then my, my program would be zero. Another thing I found interesting was uh, equality, where... <clears throat> I highlighted uh, treating two things as equal based on their externally visible behavior is called existential, no, extensional equality. Uh, so basically, it doesn't matter what the form of two functions are, but if you give them the same input and they produce the same output, then they're equal. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, it's kind of interesting because that was kind of a no dumb moment. Uh, for me, because if I think about like, well, how does the equal statement work in any language? Well, it checks for a bunch of things, but ultimately it's just checking about whether like many different aspects are the same, right? Like it's checking that when a particular function is run with, you know, this object as input, Versus another, the same function with the different object as input, the result is the same. Um, but so long as I make, you know, my tiger quack like a duck, we could have them be equal under some scheme. Uh, my my program is only as intelligent as I make it. So I guess I I I would say that I don't. I think that pretty much all programs any concept of equality is uh, equality, just checking if, if it quacks like a duck, fine, it's a duck. I guess it was the idea that like, if they're reduced to the same thing, then they are the same thing. Uh, which I guess makes sense if you do like 3 equals 1 plus 2, then those don't look the same in terms of their form, but they are the same. Yeah, if they have the same behavior, you can write on however you want and they're still going to equal each other. Yeah, I mean, is that any different though than just saying that, you know, this class this instance of an object equals another instance based off of, you know, that that equality method is doing assorted checks to do to the best of its ability determine what the output of various aspects of that 
object is, you know, what kind of class are you, um, what, uh, what are your, uh, results when I call this method on you? Are they the same? Okay, great. Um, it does seem a little different, maybe in, in the sense that when you're dealing with these procs or functions or whatever we'll call them, you sort of only have one thing to check, and that's if I give you input X, if I give you both input X, do you both produce output Y? Um, yeah. Know, for, all, for all X and Y. Whereas with something like an object, there's a lot of, I mean, there's, it could be that there's only one sort of angle to view it in that sense. Um, but it feels like the combination of things like, you know, uh, like in Ruby, an instance variable versus, uh, some sort of method on the object. Like, are they equal if the instance variables are equal? Are they equal if the methods return the same thing? Um, are they yeah, equal Ruby if they were so like... different ways to check equality. Yeah. Especially because it's like defined by you, you know, you, you, you determine like what the like notional inputs and outputs are. Whereas with a function, you pass it inputs, like you pass it a fixed number of inputs and you get one output, no matter what the function is. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I think it's, I think what I'm, I'm hearing is that it's interesting in terms of its limitations. Um, and yeah, the uh, limitations make it reducible. Whereas sure. with an object, yeah. it's almost um, unbound. Well, and I think that was maybe my reaction. Like, ultimately, it's bound by human, human understanding, <laughs> human understanding, right? Yeah, and and totally. human faith that you're not being an idiot, right? Uh, How much of that do you have, Betty? <laughs> <laughs> Me? Oh, uh, infinite. I think everybody is brilliant. Yeah. Um, of course, right? Except for myself. <laughs> Yes, certainly, except for myself. Uh, so maybe, maybe that's how we we rationalize this. I have I have infinite faith in other people's code, but I know at some point I will break it. I like the approach that this chapter took. Of you know, here's FizzBuzz and Ruby. Now let's take each part of it. Like we don't have you know ranges and maps and if else and uh, modulus all these different things we had to replace piece by piece. That was really a neat way of uh, explaining the problem. Yeah, and you kind of slowly see it become less and less like usual Ruby and more and more like shouted Ruby with yeah. <laughs> uh, square brackets for function application. Yeah, I guess what I was most impressed by was like the ability for the still still Ruby parts to work seamlessly with well not seamlessly but still work with the pure land of calculus parts it's like proof that you're actually doing the right thing yeah yeah well i mean it certainly initially some of that breaks right but the uh, infinite loops and y combinator and z combinator Seems yeah like... well i mean it it breaks initially right when we um, pass in the the numerals to begin with. So yeah. it's not always seemingly seamlessly working. Uh, but it is impressive, certainly at the end when it all comes together. So what did you think of the infinite streams? This is like 
uh, I think the first thing after uh, we print out FizzBuzz, um, and it like we start to extend some of the ideas towards infinite streams. I thought it was very interesting. I like the idea of, of returning like a function to do the next thing. Yeah, it was kind of neat. Yeah, I actually highlighted that. A list is just code that does the right thing when we pass it to first or rest. It's so simple, but also <laughs> does the right thing. You know, um, I think it takes a little while to unpack that. What is the right thing for for first to do? What is in the list? So what else we got in this uh, chapter? Um, well, in the FizzBuzz implementation, I will say the hardest thing for me to understand was uh, the slide function. I would definitely agree with that. <laughs> it took me so long to wrap my head around like how we can't subtract, so how do we end up with a number that's less than one less than ourselves? Yeah, yeah, the incrementing seemed to make sense, but when he gets into decrementing, sliding backwards... Um, it seemed like, I mean, and maybe, maybe I wasn't understanding it correctly, but it still seemed like he was using a number to you know, decrement these values instead of necessarily just using a proc. And um, probably something I need to just sit down and hack away at for a while until I fully grasp it. Yeah, I think I would need to do a small step iteration on it to figure out what's, what's happening. It's a nice callback. <laughs> Did anyone else feel slide was not really the best name for that? And I don't know if that's like what it's officially called um, in um, uh, mathematics. Well, yeah, mathematics or you know CS programs, or maybe even in the original lambda calculus ratings. But slide just seemed like the wrong uh wrong name for it almost it seemed like it should be like build up or something uh maybe that would help me understand it i mean i still don't understand it but uh i thought of slide like a slide ruler or something like you were like there was a list of numbers in a row horizontally and you were sliding this window of two numbers along it uh, yeah. yeah so I was I was almost picturing it as like the tape head from a Turing machine, like just going over, I guess, those two numbers in this instance. Yeah. Well Yeah, and maybe I don't maybe I don't understand slide correctly, but it it seems like it's so it's keeping track of um the two numbers, which to us are the two functions. Um, and then, like, it returns the one when it finds when the second pair, um, is the one that is equal to the, the number we want to decrement, then it just takes the first one in the pair. At least that was what I thought, but what it's essentially doing is, it's just building up. It's like saying, okay, we'll just take, we'll just build from, like, the identity, right? Isn't it 
just building up from the identity. Well, it's like saying yeah. that, uh, you know, like if you call slide once, I mean, call slide mm-hmm. once on zero zero, well, then you have zero one, and so you yeah. know that zero is one less than yeah. one, right? And then it's like, oh, if you call it twice, well, then the first one is one less than two. Yeah. So I guess like. But slide is yeah. Slide feels kind of. It's like slide is what's happening, but the result yeah. isn't isn't a slide. Yeah, I guess that's that's what it is. It's it's describing the instantaneous use of it, whereas I'm thinking, okay, well, we're just gonna call the the end result of multiple slide calls is to build up to one less than the number. Um. But yes, I think I think that's what it is, is that I'm thinking about what is the end result of this? And that's not really true. The function itself is just doing one simple motion of increasing and sliding up and sliding slowly up again. Um, so I so guess... Like, let me take a stab at describing slide in a, just a way that might... I think it maybe distills some things, like... Slide is the function that, when called n times on a pair on a zero zero pair, um, returns a pair where the left element is n minus one. I'd probably have to write that out to make it clear <laughs> for the decrement. Uh, or yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's like if you want to know the decrement of four, call slide four times on zero zero and take the left. Yeah. And I think the concept behind it is more of a, you're building up from the identity. So, like, five is just a single function applied five times over the identity. Mm -hmm. And so, um, where I was, I was like, I was coming in, I was like, okay, well, we just need to build up, you know, four times and then, you know we'll know that the the fifth one we've gone too far so you just remember <laughs> the one before it but um the way you say it like it definitely makes sense to call it slide it's just there's no nice way of like of saying hey this is actually what we're doing which i'm so used to in ruby i'm so used to descriptive variable names yeah which is a good thing Call it doubly increment lazily on the left side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe I missed something on this, but I, I felt like I was getting hung up on the fact that, I mean, the slide definition, like, is for incrementing even is pair last, pair last plus one. And we never turn that one into a proc or anything, so that seemed like something we weren't allowed to do. I guess, um, I mean, that's the, the Ruby code, right? Yeah, and Is I guess I'm missing... One. And the the Lambda way would be to just apply um, apply that function once again. So I believe where that happens... Oh, I'm, I'm uh, seeing this now with the ink, okay. With the increment um, mm-hmm. proc or... Method. Yeah. Okay. 
So, yeah, so slide, it takes the uh, rightmost. And yes, I am looking at my left hand and seeing the fact that it's forming an L right now. Um, <laughs> the right hand one, and using that increment that we previously defined, which is really just applying P to yeah. the same thing again. Okay. It's taking all my self-control to not make a joke about that cha-cha slide song. <laughs> <laughs> Electric slide. Yeah. Electric slide. Tootsie roll. That's what we should rename it. Now you're just making up words. What? <laughs> what does the right in slide do? The... Right um, is the one that tells us when. Oh, you mean like the capital? The yeah, capital yeah, you're the like, you're like for, for the P okay. pass in, yep. we say right P for both. Yeah, so um, in the. Uh, I think we're, we're just taking the right element. Um, yeah, so like left, left takes the X. The X, which is the left element, and right takes the Y, which is the right element. Um, yeah, it's defined in the section back in pairs. Yeah, right below pairs. For you, Justin, it's 7395. Gotcha. So, for its usage, when we're defining slide, all we're saying is, he have this pair take the highest value, save it into the new left value, um, and then increment it. Oh, because we're calling it over and over again. We need to get the right one out. I see. Yeah. It's only arbitrary for the first one, for the first, uh, for the initial value, because it's a pair of the same thing. Cool. I I feel like we just had a really nice learning moment there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we implement slide and all the other functions, and then we talk about, like you were saying, lists and streams. Yeah, the stream operations stuff is, I, I find it kind of endlessly fascinating, because it seems, I don't know, just like uh, like a power tool. Um, you know, you just have like some stream of like integers, and then say like, oh, multiply the stream by three, and multiply it by ten, and... I mean, you can envision more interesting and like real-world applicable operations on streams of stuff like that. Um, but it's all just kind of implicitly defined to be infinite. Um, yeah, I guess like the the idea that it's infinite is really powerful to me. Yeah, I guess we really use streams almost you know every day with, in Ruby at least with like uh, enumerators that have each or or if we. Uh... Mostly each, like, we can iterate over things until we either get to the end or, or have the answer we want. But the end is kind of arbitrary because maybe that those things are not coming from from a fixed length, like, you know, data source. Yeah, we're reading into the um, 
Lambda Architecture at work. And so some of the stream stuff definitely kind of reminds me of that. I don't really, you know, maybe I should be better at understanding uh, the core concepts of the Lambda Architecture, but um, I don't really quite see the connection um, other than the concept of, you know, Lambda just being kind of a discrete function. But this part kind of seems like a, a strong connector between the two. Um, just the idea that you can continue working on a potentially infinite um, source. Alright, shall we move on to implementing Lambda Calculus? Yeah, let's do it. This part seemed mostly straightforward because of all the work we did in the previous chapters with, you know, making our own ASTs and operations on them for the DFAs and PFAs. PFA? Push down. <laughs> Which, oh, uh, I guess oh, PDA, yeah. sorry. P yeah, PD. <laughs> Public display of affection. Yep. Uh, yeah, this this definitely felt really familiar. Uh, it felt like um, kind of the same process we've seen before where we take a, take Ruby and, and kind of re-implement uh, very basic aspects of it. Um, I think the the first section where we're replacing, uh, you know, even like the if and the the booleans and equality, and we're replacing that with the um, the constants, right, with the functions underneath. Uh, that was a very different form of slowly taking Ruby and and making it our own. But this felt very similar to you know what we've been doing uh, before. Did anyone find um, things in this part that really helped clarify their understanding of, of Lambda Calculus or of uh, Ruby procs? Um, one thing, not necessarily Ruby, but um, so when we implement the uh, replace method to replace variables, uh, and there's like one quote in the chat that says, this lets us place occurrences of a variable throughout an expression without accidentally changing unrelated variables that happen to have the same name. Um, so I'm familiar with in some languages such as uh, like Clojure or Elixir that have uh, what are called hygienic macros, where you can do, um, we can essentially like replace uh, parts of code. You can write, write code that writes other code, um, kind of like metaprogramming. Um, but it does it in a way where if you have something called X in your, in your macro definition and X somewhere else in the program, uh, it will make sure that those do not become the same thing. So it's, it, this seemed, the replace method seemed to kind of hint at me like how that might be implemented, uh, in a hygienic macro system. I could be completely wrong, but that's what it reminded me of. Yeah, that's interesting. Was there something that that for you? No, surprisingly <laughs> not. Um, maybe, 
So by the time I got past the fizzbuzz, I was just feeling like, hells yeah, I I get this. <laughs> so this part I was um, probably did not give enough of a close reading to because I was more like, hey, I recognize this. I understand what's going on on the first pass. Um, I can program this really easy. Like, I understand what's going on. So, no, actually, um, it didn't, there wasn't anything that really um, struck me as, like, as, like, wow, that, that it really informs the rest of what we've done. Yeah, it, it was pretty straightforward compared to, like, the previous chapters, if not this kind of same thing. Um, well, in the beginning, uh, we make the decision to keep the same syntax as Ruby procs and, and calling them. Um, I think it would be cool to try to implement the church notation as a programming language. With the lambda symbols? Uh, Is that the church notation? Yeah, with the, yeah. With the periods in between the uh, yeah. arguments in the body. Um, well, I'm sure you could do that with treetop. Yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't tried, but it'd be kind of cool to have a have a language to play around in. That's just like pure lambda calculus. Um, maybe maybe have give names to things. Could be a fun exercise for the reader. <laughs> That's me. Would the readers? <laughs> Did anybody find learning about the Lambda Calculus like you had kind of aha moments while doing other programming, like for, for work? I'd have to look back at my commits, but I wonder if I used procs more liberally. <laughs> Everything's a function. Yeah. I think that is one kind of real takeaway, though, is, is that, you know, some things are, uh, when you're writing day-to-day Ruby anyway, you know, the kind of basic units of abstraction are classes um and so you might like implement a method on a class but not everything is like that and we end up using procs kind of as part of like enumerable for instance quite a bit um but there are like as this chapter showed there are a lot of other ways that you can use them independently of existing ruby apis what about you justin uh not not while reading this, but I feel like I did like a while ago when when first like learning about lambda calculus and but I can't put my finger on exactly what it was that I tied back to. I know I know learning uh, learning Haskell definitely had a lot of similarities because in Haskell you have functions that can take you know multiple arguments, but underneath um, they're actually implemented as functions that take a single argument just like this. Right. Yeah, I think there's a footnote about currying. Yeah, I think that was the biggest takeaway I had from this chapter is just, ah, I understand currying now. <laughs> yeah, it makes it but, really explicit. Yeah. Yeah, I've been um, bouncing around Ruby and Angular land um, over the past few weeks. And so reading this chapter has, um, I don't know, it was nice to have a really positive functional um some yeah positive interaction with with some functional code uh to kind of balance out the sadness of 
of JavaScript and to remind me that there are some, uh, there is there is some definitely some fun things to be done with with the language if you wanted to. <laughs> the sadness of JavaScript. <laughs> yeah, I mean. As someone who is not a strong front end architect, you know, I'm in part I'm more limited with what uh I, I'm limited by the things I have competence in, so I end up doing this the smaller stuff. So it was nice to to uh I don't know, just think like in theory I could implement the Lambda calculus in JavaScript. It could be awesome. Could be doing something other than fixing just this fiddly front end bug. <laughs> and and me being more uh, on the front end side of things, I've been taking kind of this whole book and like under trying to understand the Ruby aspect of it, and then obviously in my head trying to immediately translate it into how I would do it in JavaScript. So it's been a, a, maybe an extra step. <laughs> so I think this was our shortest tree top tree top specification yet yeah it was a single page yeah it's my my e-reader yeah i mean there's very little little that we had to implement really so calling variable and then the function definition all right well next time we'll be reading Chapter 7, Universality is Everywhere. Uh, and we're starting off with Lambda Calculus again, where we get to implement a Turing machine in Lambda Calculus, apparently. Nice. Uh, yeah. You can check out this episode and more on csbookclub.com slash understanding-computation. Uh, on Twitter at cs underscore book club. And that's it. I'll talk to you next time. See you, guys. Bye. See you next time. It's like the Seinfeld of chapters, programming about nothing. <laughs>